Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. God wants us to never give up in our praying. That doesn't mean that our prayer requests stay the same. Oftentimes what prayer does is aligns our passions, our desires, and our wisdom to the purposes of God. But don't stop praying. The point is you're praying to the most powerful person in the universe who's powerful not only over your health and over every molecule of the universe and not only over your forgiveness of sins, but even over the plan that he's got for you. Keep praying. Ever wondered why God doesn't immediately heal all the sick? If God has the power to fix all our problems, then why doesn't he do it? Welcome to Focal Point. Today, Pastor Mike Fabares explains why we need to keep praying, even when we don't get the results that we hoped for. Now let's open the Bible to discover how God is working out his plan for our good. We're starting in a supporting passage from James 5.13. Here's Pastor Mike with a message titled, Powerful Praying, Needful Lessons for Life's Ups and Downs. If anyone among you is suffering, it reads, James 5.13, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Number two, let's put it this way. It's the power of me talking to the right person. I put it this way. Pray to the all-powerful God. Pray to the all-powerful God. If, if I said there's power in prayer, and, and I know books have been written, the power of prayer, right? We see the, the title of this sermon, right? What is that? What I call powerful praying. If you think about prayer and you say prayer is powerful, right? And if you define prayer as communication, to God, right? If you think it's about the communication itself, as some prosperity gospel people think, you're going to miss the whole point. Because the point isn't that there's something powerful in what you're doing. It's about who you're doing it with. You're, you're, you're speaking to God. I can say some things to you. I could say, here's a powerful prayer. Hey, Jim, make it rain on Thursday. That's a powerful prayer, man. But it means nothing because Jim can't do anything about the weather, right? If I said, hey, I said, Wendy, lift this car, make it fly. Okay, well, that's powerful, man. What faith you have. You have faith, man. That's powerful praying. Yeah, but Wendy can't make my car fly. So it really doesn't matter how powerful and faith-filled your words are. What matters is who you're talking to. And here is a God who can raise the dead. Here is a God who can forgive sins. Here's a God who can look at you as though you never did the things that you did. That is like remarkable. How can I change reality? God can do that. It's impossible with man, but it's possible with God. So my point is this. You're praying to someone who is powerful, and that's what you need to remember. Every time you bow your head, every time you utter a, a word, like when Nehemiah right, was asked by the king, what do you want? And he prays to God, and he answers the king. In that moment, he makes a statement to God and he doesn't tell us what it is, but it's some kind of statement where he's somehow acknowledging that God is great and big and can do anything. And sure enough, the response to the king was very unexpected. 
It was wanted, unexpected, and he ends up funding and allowing the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. That prayer, what is it? It's an acknowledgement that I have a connection with the all-powerful God. See, some people think prayer, these prosperity preachers, is like a remote control on a drone, right? We got this thing and it's a drone, it's got missiles on it or whatever, and I'm gonna pick it on it just to hear, do this and push that forward and move it this way. You wanna move God, you, prayer controls God, right? Now, you're, I would hope your theology is such, you say, I don't think that's a good definition of prayer, a good description of prayer. Prayer controls God, right? You're not controlling God. You understand that? This is a person. You're talking to a person. He just happens to be the CEO of the universe who made the universe and every molecule in it reports to him. But you're talking to a person. Just like your kids can come to you and ask you something. They can ask you something and they're deferring to you and they think you have resources they don't have. And that's true with us. And it's great to know that we're talking to someone who does have all authority. But you're asking a person. Now, I know the problem with this whole sermon is that some of you will get so demotivated to pray because I'm actually talking about something as dramatic as someone who's sick and they're being healed and you're thinking, I prayed that and it didn't happen. I've prayed many times and it doesn't happen. I hope you can look at times you have prayed and God has brought someone through it. Like Psalm 103 says, he's delivered you from your diseases. And, and that's great. But some of us are going to sit here and say, well, I know I prayed and it didn't happen. And I know that's true universally and will be true universally of everyone unless you have no friends. Uh, it will be true because we, we have no 300-year-old people in the church. And because we don't have any 300-year-old Christians in the church, I know there are people that have gone before us, right, who have died. And I'm assuming if they were loved and had friends, they had people praying for their recovery. And they didn't recover. I need to give you three quick reminders and three quick possibilities as to why you've prayed and that didn't happen, particularly when it comes to something regarding your, your health or your loved one's health. Three reminders. Let's go to Romans for this, Romans chapter 8. I'll give you three from the passage. Now, the first one I've already basically talked about, but I want to at least point it out because it's all in the context of Romans chapter 8. Verse 11, Romans 8. If the Spirit, capital S, of him who raised Jesus from the dead, now that's pretty amazing, dwells in you... <laughs> then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay, that's meant to jar you a little bit. You have a relationship with someone who has power to raise the dead. I mean, that's just amazing. Talk about an underutilized shotgun. There, there's a relationship. Now, I'm not pulling the trigger and I don't get to control God, but I can certainly ask him to pull the trigger. And so that's a big, big deal. So that's observation number one. Reminder number one is he has the power to fix it. Whatever your thing is that you're praying for, my kid has cancer, uh, you know, whatever. This guy was in an accident on a ventilator. I can say, I know this, God could fix anything. He could have 500-year-old people in this church who every time they pray, they get near death. No, God says no, could happen. So that's number one. Number two, drop down to verse 26. I know that when I say, if you're suffering, pray, I know how you're going to pray when you're suffering. And that is, I want it to stop. When you're sick, pray, get people to pray. I know what they're going to pray. They're going to pray just immediately and reflexively and naturally they're going to pray. I hope that you stop being sick. If, if my wife comes to me and says, hey, I have a headache, would you pray for me? She's not asking me for anything deep. She just wants me to say, I'll pray that your headache goes away. That's what I'm going to pray, right? Because that's how we all pray. The problem is I want us to make observation number two, reminder number two, our prayers aren't always that great, right? Verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps our weakness. Not only could he do anything, 
but he's going to help us. How? We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself, guess what? He knows how to pray. He intercedes to the Father with groanings too deep for words. And the point of the passage is we sometimes want things so bad, we're like, ooh, want it. The Spirit wants things really badly too, but he wants things that are much more informed than, than us. So all I'm saying is, observation number two, our prayers are short-sighted. By nature, they're short-sighted. They're short-sighted, particularly in pain, because all we want is the pain to go away. Observation number three, verse 28. Romans 8, 28. Oh, there's that passage. I don't want this to turn you off, but here it is. We know that for those who love God, I hope that, qualify, I hope that qualifies you. you. You're qualified there. You love God. You're a Christian. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God's got a purpose. The Spirit knows what it is. You encounter something that's called suffering or sickness, and you pray. The Spirit knows how to intercede to the Father about that situation. You're praying. The Spirit's praying. You might be praying two different things. But here's the truth. The purpose that God is working out, if you love him and are called according to his purpose, he's going to work the purpose out for good. He's going to say, that was good. It worked the way I wanted it to work. So I have to, observation number three, know that God is working out a plan. God is working a plan. And that includes, by the way, as we're about to see, some illness. Includes suffering. Includes dying. Um, so those three reminders, if you're following with me, God has power to fix it. Our default is short-sighted prayers. God's working a plan. And it's a good plan. Possibilities. Why have I prayed and it didn't work out? Number one, 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10 if you need the whole passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Sometimes the healing is not the best thing. Not the best thing. That is a purpose that God is going to show you that it was a good thing that this happened to you. And this was something in his good purpose where he used something painful to do something good. And in that passage, if you know your Bible, that's where Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, which guess, guess what that means? A sickness. What if he opened up James chapter five and said, all I got to do here is pray and prayer and faith, offered in faith. Oh, maybe I just got to get more of the elders of, of Ephesus to pray for me and then it'll go away because it says God will raise him up. Why didn't it happen? Paul figured it out. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. Three times he prayed earnestly, fervently. Hey, God, take this away. God said, no. And then God said, now here's why. I want you to know in this very privileged position you've had as, as an apostle, you, you, you have a tendency to get a big head and all this. Your pre-Christian life was like that. I don't want you to have that. So I'm going to make you suffer and hurt with this thing, this ailment. And so you will be humble, right? You will defer to God. You will depend on God. And, and so this is a good thing. And so Paul says, great. I get it. I understand it. And I see your good purpose in it. So possibility number one, it's not best. And you'll see why it's not best in time. You'll see it. That's possibility number one. You prayed, didn't work. Possibility number two, right? Your kid's got cancer and you're praying for, for help. Your wife's got some tumor and it's a problem and it's threatening their life. Accidents, personal ventilator, I'm praying. Great, God could do anything. We know that our default is to fix it. And, and that's just, God made no better. God's working a plan. I, I get all that. But what about this if it ends poorly? Well, I would say this, maybe it's not best and you'll see it's not best. Or maybe that's it. God is fulfilling his Genesis 3.19 promise. And Genesis 3.19 is you won't have anybody that's 2,000 years old in your church, right? It is appointed a man wants to die, or as Genesis 3.19 says, you are going to return to the dust. This is what I'm promising of you. Write this passage down next to it. Second um, Kings chapter 13. The successor of Elijah was Elisha. Remember that? And Elisha in this passage, verse 1, I just want to read it for you. Second Kings 13.14. 
It says, now when Elijah had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, dot, dot, dot. Okay, and then we read about his illness. And if you got an ESV at the top of that paragraph, it says the death of Elisha. Now you expect Elisha to die. Why? Because God kept a, uh, is going to keep a promise from Genesis 3. All of you are going to get sick and die. There's a happy uh, quote with Christmas trees around me. Hey, Merry Christmas. You're going to die. You're going to die because God promised you're going to die. And guess what? Much like this, many of you will die because of an illness. And I hope if you have friends and loved ones, they'll probably pray that you recover from the illness and their prayers will not be answered because like Elisha, you're going to fall sick with the illness with which you are to die. Because that's the point. So I know that. God is never going to keep answering your prayers in the affirmative for you to have all your loved ones get over their illnesses. So I know that. That's a possibility. Maybe it's, maybe it's my time. I hope if I get sick, you'd say, I hope you get better. And if I don't get better, I hope you say, I hope you can see God's purpose in that. Or you say, well, I guess it's, it's the illness with which it's, it's God's got your numbers up, Pastor Mike. Great. Okay. I know that's on the, on the, it's on the schedule. One more. Very unfulfilling. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. This is the very last section, the very last paragraph of Paul's extant writings. We have nothing else from Paul. This is the end of his life. He's about to be executed in Rome. And he, he wants Timothy to come. And here's why. Erastus, he says, has remained in Corinth. And I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Now, he wanted Trophimus there. He, I mean, the reason he's going to say in verse 21, do your best to come to me before winter, winter is he wants Timothy there. Why? Well, because there, he needs a substitute because Trophimus is sick. Why is Trophimus sick? And again, this is an argument from silence in this passage and very unfulfilling. But why? I don't know why. Does Paul know why? I think he'd tell us if he knew why. There's no big spiritual thing that he knows. He doesn't know the purpose. I wrote it down this way when I thought through possibilities. God's undiscernible purpose. I don't know what the purpose is. I can pray, and I have prayed for a lot of things in my own life, and sometimes I think, what is the purpose for this? Why do I have this pain, or why do I have this illness? I don't know. I don't know. I can't see a spiritual lesson that'll really, I don't want to make one up and have a super spiritual answer for my illness. Or Just, I don't know. And that's not a bad possibility for a lot of things, because I don't know. I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to hope that the Spirit who knows better is going to pray, and then I'm just at a place where I'm like, I'm resigned to the fact of God's will. I know that God is not saying, hey, you didn't pray the prayer of faith the way you're supposed to. And I know that's how people sometimes preach this passage. And all I'm saying, this is an encouragement to pray. Why? Because the focus in this passage is on a powerful God. And I know you know this. You can pray to a God who does something that defies reality. He looks at you no longer as a sinner. How does that work? How can you be the thief on the cross and he looks at you and say, hey, you're ready for paradise? It's impossible. Prayer did that, right? Oh, it's not the prayer is powerful. You prayed to the right person. And the right person in his power provided redemption in Christ and counts you as clean. It's as though you had never sinned. How does that work? How powerful is that? That's better than resurrection. That's better than not having cancer. That's gigantic. Although you get cancer, I'm going to pray that you don't get it, that it goes away. I'm going to pray that it gets reversed. I pray that you recover. We should pray reflexively. We should pray habitually for good. I get that. But at some point, maybe we're going to see the purpose and we're going to say, I'm going to just pray and morph in my praying to the place where I see that purpose and I'm going to affirm that purpose and I'm going to pray that purpose works its full purpose out in my life. By the way, I have no time for this, but that's never stopped me as I often say. <laughs> Let me just quote this passage for you and you might want to write down the reference. Jesus told a parable about prayer. Luke chapter 18, in verse one, he said this. He told them this parable to this effect that you should always pray and never 
lose heart. Some translations translate, and never give up. Jesus told them a parable to this effect, that you should always pray and never lose heart. And then he tells the story about the unrighteous judge who really is a jerk. That's, that's the Mike Fabara's version, right? The guy's a jerk. He doesn't care about people. The widow comes and she wants justice and he will not get out of bed. He doesn't want to be bothered by her. And finally, he's worn down. You know the story. He's worn down by her constant nagging. That he gets up and he gives her what she needs, some adjudication of some problem. And Jesus says, an argument from lesser to greater, you think that God will not give his elect justice, those who cry out to him day and night? Who do you think you're talking to? Not the unrighteous judge. God wants us to never give up in our praying. That doesn't mean that our prayer requests stay the same. Oftentimes what prayer does is aligns our passions, our desires, and our wisdom to the purposes of God. But don't stop praying. The point is you're praying to the most powerful person in the universe who's powerful not only over your health and over every molecule of the universe and not only over your forgiveness of sins, but even over the plan that he's got for you. Keep praying. You're praying to the most powerful person in the universe. Poor Elijah has so little time to talk about. Verse 17, chapter 5 of James. Let's read the last line of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you're going to leave off with that and you're going to bring up Elijah, here's how I think the verse would, here's how I'd expect it to go, right? The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah, for instance, was a really righteous person and he had really powerful prayers. That's how I would expect it to be. That is not how it goes. It starts with something that's, that's a bit surprising. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Well, wait a minute. I, I look at Elijah praying for someone to be, I think, man, that dude, righteous. He is righteous because that's the whole paradigm here. The righteous person prays, but it's not like he's righteous like on, the, on, on some kind of varsity professional team and I'm sitting here listening to, to, to James write this letter to me going, well, I got, you know, God's not gonna listen to my prayer. I pray for small things. He has a nature like ours. You know, not one hero that we know of that gets any airtime at all to speak of in the scripture, do we not learn about their clay feet? Have you ever noticed that? All of them. Doesn't happen in other ancient Near Eastern language uh, or, or histories, but it happens in the Bible. You learn about David, you say, oh, great king, man after God's own heart, paradigm for the coming Messiah, and you, you learn about his sins. Elijah, right? Wow, amazing. He prays and things happen, right? He prays in judgment against uh, Ahab and Jezebel about the drought, and it happens, and he, and he prays about it going, going away and, and, and rain coming, and it, and it happens. You think, wow, that, that's huge. But you got to remember, Elijah was one who sat there in the shadow of his confrontation with Jezebel and Ahab and said he wanted to die. He was suicidal. He's like, I, I can't take this anymore. I'm the only one. He had a terrible complex about the fact that he is nobody else righteous but me. We, we see their clay feet. So you know that the thing that I say about you praying and powerful praying and all that, you think I, I could not be that person that has prayers where God does something great like George Mueller where he prays and just amazing things happen in his ministry. You can. Why? Because he has a nature like ours. The whole point is we're all on level ground here when it comes to this. We all have the possibility as Christians to pray righteous as a righteous person. You pray as a righteous person by confessing your sins before God and then going to your father and saying, God, I would, I, I'm asking you for this. And I'm thanking you for that. And I'm praying for these plans. And I want this to take place. You give your requests to God. Let them be known to him. And you should not have any excuse for praying. And you should do this, as he said in chapter one about the prayer of wisdom, you ought to pray without any doubting. You shouldn't be going back and forth, equivocating between this and that. You ought to be absolutely sure that God wants you to pray and you're gonna pray. Number three, I put it this way, you ought to pray without doubting. Pray without doubting. 
And it's not that I'm going to get the yacht in the harbor. I'm just going to keep praying for that. I'm going to pray for that Rolls Royce. Just keep praying for that. I'm going to pray that my kid doesn't have you know, paralysis. I'm just going to pray for that, and God's going to take it away. I'm talking about you praying without doubting about the paradigm that we have before us. God is inviting us to pray, to ask, to knock, to seek. And he's saying, you're talking to the most powerful person in the universe who knows a lot about a lot of things, knows everything about everything, and you need to keep on coming and never give up, never lose heart. And you should not doubt that God has this, and not only is his will for your life, but the means by which he's going to get things done in your world. Pray. Pray big. Well, I'm not a really big Christian. Pray big. Pray, pray, pray. Pray full faith. Pray without doubting, because he says, who should expect they're going to receive anything from God? This was chapter one when he talked about wisdom. If you're just going back and forth in your own head, trust that God invites you to pray and pray. He says, ask. And you receive it. He says, seek, and you find. Knock, the door will be open. Do what he said. Well, I tried it, it doesn't work. Keep praying. Are your prayers going to stay the same? They'll often shift. They'll often align to God's will, God's purposes. But keep praying. Stop doubting that your prayers are ineffectual. They have great power in their working. You just got to keep praying because you're praying to the right person. I'm over time, but I want you, please, to see this as the whole point as Jesus says, you need to know I am a responsive God, a good God, a caring God. I'm not a God whose ears are, are, are stopped up. My arms are not short to save. I want you to pray. We need prayer. Let's pray. God, we'll pray for prayer. As Spurgeon once said, we've got to pray for more prayer. We feel like we don't want to pray. We want to pray to pray. And we're praying right now that we might be men and women of prayer. We pray more. Sometimes as He'd already told us sometimes we pray with wrong motives so that we can just spend it on our pleasure. We, got, we, we need to purify our motives. We need to have righteous prayers. And God, I just pray it would start by us talking to you. We gotta talk to you more often. We gotta connect not just the suffering to a deprivation of need that we need you to fix, but we need to see you in that suffering. We need to see you in the mediocrity. We need to see you in the good times, in the cheer, in the fun. God, we need to see the connection in everything and talk to you about everything all the time, knowing who we're talking to. You're a gracious and merciful God that has a plan and cares, and we want to be given to prayer like we've never been before. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. A wonderful reminder about prayer. You're listening to Focal Point and a message titled, Powerful Praying, Needful Lessons for Life's Ups and Downs. Now, if you want to go back and listen again or share this message with a friend, it's available now at focalpointradio.org. It's comforting and empowering to know that no matter what happens in this life, we can talk to God about it, and we have a hope that holds steady. We don't have to worry about changing opinions, changing fortunes, or the changing tides of political philosophy. God's Word never changes. That's why Focal Point is absolutely committed to the teaching of Scripture, the inerrant Word of God, regardless of how unpopular or popular it might be. And if you believe it's valuable to have the voice of truth shared widely in our chaotic world, then we invite you to stand with us now and in the new year by giving a special year-end gift. Your generosity this December will provide the much-needed financial stability we need to expand our reach in the coming year. It's quick and easy to give when you call 888-320-5885 or set it up online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, send your donation by mail. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Thank you for helping Focal Point to close out the books in 2023 and position ourselves for what God has in store for us next.
And when you give today, we'll send you The Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible by Joseph M. Holden as our way of saying thanks for your support. This beautiful book makes an excellent personal Bible study tool or a thoughtful gift. It's a top-rated companion resource that you'll want to keep right next to your Bible. Request your copy of The Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible when you make a generous year-end gift to Focal Point at focalpointradio.org or when you call 888-320-5885. Well, coming up tomorrow on Focal Point, Pastor Mike is starting what he calls his Mega Christmas Message. Join us to find out what the big deal is all about. I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Tuesday for Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.